Hello and welcome to Take My Advice, I'm Not Using It. My name's Ollie Henderson and this is episode number 30 of this work-life podstorm, the penultimate episode. And in today's show, I'm returning to three podcasts that we did in series one and three guests whose background reflects the wide-ranging influences on the changing relationship between future and work. So Kath Bishop is a former Olympian, she's a world champion rower, and she's the author of A Long Win, a book which came out towards the end of last year. She talks about reframing our relationship with winning, not just in sport, but in life in general. And specifically in the clip today, it's around mindset. And all of these three episodes that you'll listen to today come back to a theme which runs through a lot of the newsletters and podcasts I write, and I think have been particular note this year for many people and that's understanding a sense of purpose in your life. The second guest is Sean Thompson. Sean is a former world champion surfer. He's a really interesting guy to listen to. In his own words his life's been full of great successes, failures, happiness and terrible tragedy and with all that experience he comes at this idea of purpose with a unique take through his code, which is both a book and a philosophy to life which he shares with people around the world. Final guest is Alyssa Westring. She's a professor and the author of a book which had a great influence on me last year called Parents Who Lead. We had a fascinating chat about how approaching parenting with some of the principles behind leadership thinking can give you real clarity during challenging times and give you a sense of purpose as you look to the future. So without further ado, my first guest is Kath Bishop. Absolutely. We have in the fixed mindset the sense we're trying to prove how good we are. It's ego driven. Whereas actually what we want to be doing is improving all the time. It gives us that constant momentum. And coming back to your point about resilience, that is where resilience sits at a point where we're constantly growing and developing, regardless of what the results might be. So we might win, we might lose in that narrow sense, but actually we will have gained something personally from that experience, from working with others, from what we learned that we do differently next time. That's the real success because that's what we take with us. The result is temporary and you move on to something else. It's the same within sport. You know, you win or lose a race, but actually as athletes, when you're at elite level, you're always trying to maximize your improvement because there's always another race and you need to think about what you're going to build on for the next race, not get on this roller coaster of highs and lows of success and failure. That leads to kind of deep mental stress. And we want to be in a place where we're constantly improving. And that's what the focus is on. How can we feed that next? How can we sort of provide an environment in which we keep learning? I, I mean, I often find it quite interesting that within companies, um, there's more learning development available sometimes in in that sort of um once you've been in for a few years and that kind of middle place and then when you get to be a leader well then it stops i'm involved in coaching and and working with teams and leaders and and you know i will ask them how do you learn tell me about describe your your learning journey you've got all these incredibly difficult challenges that you have to deal with so how are you learning and growing in order to bring new ideas to the table in order to use others as a sounding board and and it's just absent It's just viewed, well, you got to the leadership position, so now you know everything, which again is madness and very limiting. It doesn't enable them, doesn't empower them. You know, they feel that pressure that I should know everything, which again is unhelpful to finding the best solutions to things. We want to be constantly improving rather than trying to prove 
who we are. So get away from that kind of, you know, ego is a big part of it. If we define success through that ego that I've beaten you, I'm better than you. You know, we're, we're really limiting how we might together explore our potential. And that's the sort of mindset shift that I want through the long win, where we have this, the three C's you mentioned, the clarity, constant learning mindset and connection. So we prioritize clarifying our purpose, the bigger picture of what matters over a slightly longer term. We really have that constant learning. Success is constantly learning so that we are stretching ourselves all the time, open to feedback, open to new experiences, learning and able to adapt to everything that's thrown at us, not fixed with our knowledge and where we are, and that we prioritize the human connections, the relationships in everything that we do. So that was Kath Bishop, author of The Long Win, who I interviewed in episode two of Take My Advice. Now on to Sean Thompson. I hope you enjoy. But it's funny, you know, when I think back to my pro days, I never ever, I would enter events, I never even knew that the prize money for the event, it, it, the focus was for me was always on the performance. I know, Ali, that you dispense wonderful advice to people. I have found, and I speak to hundreds of thousands of people around the world, the biggest companies, poor, the poorest schools, the most famous schools. And I always like to, to tell people that I like to just give a perspective. I'll give you two things. I give a perspective of, of you know, my life that's, that's, you know, I've had success, I've had failure, I've had happiness, I've had terrible tragedy. But it's a perspective. It's not a prescription. I'm not out there with a finger uh, wagging it. Like, like you said to me that sometimes you can give someone advice and then you go, well, maybe I should follow my own advice. Do, do you know what I mean? I, I love to just say, it's just a perspective. And then I give you the code, which we can, we can talk about a, a little bit later. But that's what, that's what I give to people. And I have become over the years, you know, as I segued out of professional surfing into business and, and, and the a, a apparel business. And then after a, a terrible personal tragedy, I lost uh, my wife and I lost our son. I went, I went into this, I suppose it's like teacher, teaching in a way. But I like to think it's more storytelling, and I like to, to, like I say, do two things. I give a perspective, and I give the code. And that's now my life. That's, that's what I do, and I, and I love doing it. I love it. I love it. I like to think, I'm telling you, Oli, I think, and, and when we talk about the code, I, I think I got, I got one of the best jobs in the world. I, I really love it. I, I see... I see into the human spirit and what is there is good. And while we might be divided by cultures and language and political affiliation, you know, we all speak one language. And this language is called spirit language. And I like to think that when I speak to groups, I speak in spirit language. And when people write their code, they write in spirit language too. So this is a language that I want to become more and more prevalent around the world. And I think that the more we speak in spirit language, the better the world will be. And it's a really simple process. I called it surface code. And it was 12 lines of the fundamental lessons that surfing had taught me about life. Not, not how to be the best surf in the world, but how to coexist peacefully with others, 
you know, they, they were very simple lines. And like you interpreted three of the lines in your own way, I will always paddle back out. Obviously, that, that, that can refer to resilience, perseverance, hope. I will realize that all surfaces are joined by one ocean. This, this amazing connectivity that, that we all have and the responsibility that we have for others, like you referenced, watch out for others after a big set. I'll never turn my back on the ocean. And, and that really is sort of reflective to me of, of my father's experience. You know, the ocean can be a place of terrible danger, but also it can be a place of spiritual fulfillment and passion. And if you love it, you know, you don't just turn your back on it and walk away. Uh, I will catch a wave every day, even in my mind. This notion that, of you know, today it's like mindfulness. So there was just 12 lines that I wrote. And then I printed them up on a little card, a little like credit card. I will take the drop with commitment. That was another one. You know, anything you do, I will ride and not paddle into shore. You know, they're, 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 they're all metaphor and they can be interpreted in many different ways. So I printed them up on these little cards, I printed up a hundred cards, cost me like a hundred bucks. And I gave them out to these young people. And I had some left over and I gave them out to the media and I gave them out to the moms and dads. And it just sort of turned into like a groundswell. People loved those little cards, just like you liked it. Because in my perspective, I like to think it's like a prism. It's like a lens that people can look look at it and perhaps see their own life a bit differently. It's not like I'm, I'm this sort of Swami guru type of guy, but inside the, those 12 lines of code that the ocean gave me is, I, I think it's tremendous power. And I called it surface code. That's a clip from my interview with Sean Thompson. Now, I had loads of feedback after that episode in particular, and also the newsletter which I wrote following it, A Code for Purpose, in which I shared my family code. You can listen to that newsletter in episode 24 of this work-life podstorm. So, on to my final guest for today. It's Alyssa Westring. She's an organisational psychologist and professor at DePaul University, and she was the co-author of Parents Who Lead with Stu Friedman. drawing on decades and decades of research about what good leaders do. And and you mentioned this corporate context. A good organization will have a set of core values and a vision of where they want to go. And they use that to make strategic decisions about how to invest their resources. So if we think about our lives, we could think about how we just get through the day to day. But alternatively, if we take a leadership approach, we can use a set of values and a vision of where we want to go to help us make the decisions that inform the day-to-day aspects of our lives and even bigger decisions. And what we found is that parents tended to have a sense that this was an important thing to do. It wasn't like we were completely shocking them with the idea of having family values. It's that they didn't necessarily have a, a guide for how to get there or the motivation to pause the to-do list think about these things, which mm. is, it's really hard to do. So in the book, we ask people to look five, 10, 15 years down the road to think about where they want to go. Talking with parents throughout this pandemic, one of the things I've done is ask people to envision or to think about 
the end of this, when life gets to go back to normal and imagine themselves looking back at this moment in time, what values do you hope would characterize how you got through this moment? And it might be slightly different than the values that drive you 15 years from now. Things like patience, gratitude, being present, helping our community, those values that in an ideal world we would all embody throughout this pandemic, when you highlight them and talk about them and try to come up with creative ways to live them, you get to move out of that just completely reactive space into that more positive, proactive space that you mentioned. Yeah, you mentioned about being present there. I've, I've always talked about that as being a really vital part of having a sense of fulfillment, the, the mm-hmm. idea that you could be present when you're at home. I think, though, I've experienced this to a certain extent, and certainly other people I've spoken to have, where there's actually a big difference between being present in the sense of being in a room or, or frankly in a house with your family and actually being present of mind. Because I think the, yes. the, the sort of paradox of, of what's happened this year is that we've all been there all the time. But of course, yes. because we've got all of these different things going on and different responsibilities, being at home doesn't necessarily mean that we are present. Have you seen that among people that you've been working with? Absolutely. I think having multiple things fighting for your attention at the same time and not really having any clear dividing lines between the different roles that we're playing where we can easily slip out of work and into parenting or out of parenting and into work. It's a lot harder. And I think people are having to be more creative with strategies to help them find those moments of being present in one role or at one time And we know from our research, from decades of research, that when you are present in a moment, you can get more bang for your buck in that moment. So 30 minutes of attention to a project at work is much more valuable than 90 minutes of distracted multitasking. So there does seem to be a productivity benefit in addition to a quality versus quantity benefit. that was Alyssa Westring. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode discussing the importance of establishing a sense of purpose and vision in our lives. Tomorrow is the final episode of this work-life pod storm and it's going to feature clips from Alex Sujung Kim Pang and Alison Bourne Gates reflecting on some of the changes which we envisage seeing in the future of work in 2021 and beyond. Until then, have a great day. Cheers.